these later. And it's, it's a great joy for us as a church as we celebrate these new declarations of people who want to follow Jesus. And I want to share a little bit as we continue in our series, um, Christ Our Joy Through Philippians. We're going to look at the next passage in Philippians 2 because I think it ties in very naturally with the public declaration of baptism as, as we live out our faith in Christ. So um, we don't have it up on the screen, but I'm just going to encourage you to pick up a Bible from the benches there or if you have your own on your phones or device. But we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 18, and it's on page 841 if you want to use one of the Bibles there in in the benches, in the pews. Page 841, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. And it reads, and Apostle Paul's writing here, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offer of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And, and before anything else, again, we're going to short message here. We're going to get to the bathrooms. But I want to take a few moments to look at verse 12 really quickly here because I think it's one of those misunderstood verses in the Bible where it says, work out your own salvation. And there's a lot of confusion that's attached to that. I, I remember I was sitting in a bookstore many, many years ago, and I had a conversation with someone there. We just started talking about Jesus and the Bible. And, and I was sharing with him about this idea of Jesus being all about grace, that it's something you cannot earn. And, and this dude, I mean, he really knew his stuff, but he was adamantly convinced that, yeah, 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 Jesus had to die, and he had to purchase something you couldn't, but you had to earn it through living a good life. You still had to do your part, and you had to work hard, and you had to earn your salvation. And, and he would point to verses like this one specifically. And it reminds me why a lot of times I hear one of the most quoted verses in the Bible is, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, I mean, that's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. There's only one slight problem with that. It's not found in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, people throw it around like a scripture. God helps those who help themselves. There's nothing like that in the scriptures. Um, because the whole story of the Bible, the whole story about it is a God who's so good who's so perfect, who's so loving, who's so majestic, and a people who are not. And it's a story of a people who cannot fix themselves, who cannot save themselves, and they're in need of a hero, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he comes to do what you and I were powerless to do by living the life that we were supposed to obediently and then dying a death on a cross that we all needed. It would be as ridiculous to think that we somehow have a place in saving ourselves as going down to the cemetery, down the block and rolling, and just start yelling at the tombstones there and say, come on, get up, get up, get up, and just like yell and thinking if we just yell harder, people will suddenly rise from the grave. That would be ridiculous. In the same way, when we talk about our spiritual salvation, utterly impossible through how hard we work, through how good we are. It's got to be a work of God. So we've got to be really clear about that. We need to be really clear about the nature of salvation and that God's grace is something you cannot earn. At the same time, though, I think I would say on the other side of the theological spectrum, a lot of folks really get that part down good. They're like, I cannot earn a single thing. I'm a 
wretched sinner in need of grace. So Jesus, he, Jesus paid it all. And we sing the songs and we know all the truth only in Jesus. But they get it twisted as well because they just get really lazy. Or they just live lives that are totally disobedient God. So it's this idea that, you know what, you cannot earn God's grace. So it doesn't matter what you do. Um, it doesn't matter how you live your life. Christians going wild and, and, you know, just living this life totally opposed to the ways of God and, and saying, you know what, our obedience is for like special Christians, but it really doesn't matter because Jesus paid it all. But I, I would suggest, guys, that's just as unbiblical an idea. Because as Paul writes here, working out your salvation, um, it doesn't refer to a kind of a hands-off life devoid of any kind of spirituality. He's not talking about, yeah, you know what? Um, He's talking about being active. He's talking about living a life that follows Jesus. And that's why verse 12, it has to be understood together with verse 13 here. So yes, work out your salvation, be obedient to God, and, and be obedient to his purposes. That's definitely a part of the Christian journey. But your work is not in vain trying to measure up to some standard that you will not be able to reach. But the reason that you work is because you have hope that it's ultimately God who works in you. That the reason we're able to trust and the reason we're able to live obedient is because we believe God's the one who's got it. And if God is doing it, then we can give ourselves to it. It's God's work from start to finish. And our our obedience then... It's an appropriate response to understanding the free grace of God in your life. I love Dallas Willard. One quote he says, I think it encapsulates, he says, Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Effort's part of it, but it's opposed to earning. It's not about earning, but it doesn't mean there's no effort. And and here's why I'm so passionate about that, because of a lot of the conversations I have in our own neighborhood with folks who are searching who Jesus is. Um, I think this is one of the biggest misunderstandings a lot of us have about what it means to be a Christian. So, you know, I'll just ask that blatantly. I'm like, yo, um, Billy, so what does it mean to be a Christian? And the answer usually is, you know what? It's, you know, it's trying to be a good person. And, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try my best. And I'm going to try to be obedient. I'm going to be, try to be a nice person. You know, I've got some issues, but I'm trying to get better. And, and I think often there's, there's misunderstanding that goes on in terms of what it is to both sides. That what it means to be a Christian is fully understanding only God can do it. Only Jesus could pay the price. So it doesn't matter how good of a life you're trying to live. And I'm talking to some of you because these are the conversations I've had with you. Because I'll tell you, are you a Christian? And you'll say, yeah, you know what? I'm trying to really go to church every week. I'm like, fantastic. I'm a big fan of that. But that's not what makes a Christian. A Christian is someone who says, yeah, I'll go to church because I need Jesus. But, but oh, man, thank God it's not up to me to save myself because I would be in some deep doo-doo. It's got to be Jesus. But it's also saying to the person who will say, yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian because, yeah, I got baptized in this church when I, when I was a kid. And, and, you know, Jesus saved me, so I'm done. And I've got to say this with much compassion and mercy. You've got to listen to me. I'm not trying to be harsh here. But in love, I need to ask you, if there is no evidence of God's fruit in your life at all, you can talk all you want about the fact that you're a Christian. But in humility, you need to ask yourself, do I really know God? 
Do I really know him or not? So it's important how we live out our lives. And Paul describes, starting in verse 14, verse 14 here, shining as lights in the world. And, you know, there is supposed to be a very public display of our transformed lives in the dark world. I, I love how he describes it. A crooked and twisted generation. And, and I don't know about you, but, man, crooked and twisted generation, I feel like that describes, like, CNN right now. Not CNN itself, though some of you might agree, but, like, the world we live in. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm saying this, like, every week lately. But it's depressing to read the news. I mean, it's just depressing to be in this world right now. I don't know if any of you are there with me. I mean, it's, it's like it's depressing for me to like read about five U.S. servicemen who are gunned down. That depresses the heck out of me. I'm like, man, we live in a twisted, dark, crooked world. It depresses me when I see videos leaked from Planned Parenthood. They just casually talk about the murder and, and basically the trafficking of little unborn babies. That disturbs me. It really, I mean, it, it gets me mad. And, and this is something that doesn't get a lot of press in our side of the world because it's happening way over there. But just horrific reports of ethnic cleansing going on in certain areas of Sudan where the government, the government is doing this, just bombing villages and schools and hospitals trying to keep our medicine. Just massacring people. I mean, the kind of slaughter that's worse than any kind of movie you can imagine. And even in our own city. I mean, even in our own city, we mourn. Right now, what is it, 155 murders so far in 2015? The, like, way outpacing numbers for, like, years? Like, I mean, something's wrong. Anyone with me on that? Like, something is wrong in our world. And in the midst of these kinds of soul-numbing stories, it, I don't know about you, but it can be really challenging to believe that God is somehow at work. And it can be really difficult to believe that God actually, when he created this world, he created it to be perfect. And it was good. And it did not involve all of the sin and pain. It's hard for us to fathom because for some of us, all we've known is pain. But the world, as it was originally designed, was perfect in its design and in its expression. But sin entered the world. And, and you know, that's a whole other sermon, right? But sin entered the world. I would encourage you to read Genesis 3, open source. You can read it, right? And things broke. I mean, that's really deep theologically, right? Things broke. And, and you and I, we often think of sin as a very individualistic thing, like, how are you sinning today? And you think of stuff that you did, and I think that's appropriate. But sin also means like a larger brokenness. Sin also means like a systemic brokenness. It's like God had made this perfect thing, but when sin entered, it's someone got like a spray can and like graffiti all over it. And not like pretty graffiti, like nasty, ugly graffiti. And that's like all of creation. That God made this beautiful work of art, and sin came in and just made it like ugly. And what was beautiful has now been defaced. And I would suggest that the most obvious sign of this decay is death. Just the fact that people die. And some of you, if you had loved ones who've passed recently, or you fear that, you know when you say, I don't know how to wrap my mind around this? That's the most appropriate response to have because we're not created to understand things like death and pain. You are not supposed to be able to understand it. 
no matter how good of a theology book you read, there should be something within you that says, I do not know how to process this because you were not created to. But I'm going to take it further and say even a greater sign of this decay is death, but it's the taking of another life. Like the wanton taking of another life. That one of the horrific results of a broken world is the the devaluing of human life. That it's a marring of those made in the image of God. And, And I think... I think you see that common thread in all of the different quick stories I mentioned earlier, right? All of those news blips. What's the common thing? It's a devaluing of life. It's someone who has maybe more power looking down on someone and saying, your life doesn't matter as much, so I'm going to take it. It's graffiti all over God's creation. It's saying, your life doesn't matter as much as mine does. So guys, yeah, the world is broken. Let's pray, right? <laughs> You'd be thinking, man, you are like the most depressing pastor in the world. This church stinks. I want like a happy, happy, joy, joy. Like I come in here and I'm like jumping up in a, um, sorry, that's just my heart, right? But the world's broken, but the good news is the story doesn't end there. Amen? World is real broken, much more than you realize. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. Because as Paul puts it in verse 15 here, in the midst of this twisted and depraved generation, God has placed his people right there smack dab in the middle of it to be lights. In the middle of a dark, twisted, crooked generation, you and I, the church, we were placed there purposely to shine brightly. That in a world where beauty has been defaced, you and I are to be that beacon of hope that point people to hope. In a world that's lost hope. That your transformed life is to be the sign of God's beauty in a world that's probably given hope, hope of anything beautiful. That the brokenness that somehow we all feel we live in, that's not the end. God is at work, and he is using us. So let's just make it very real. And you know when I say that, that's when it's about to go in a weird direction. So let's make it very real. So why is this important? I think sometimes in response to the decay and destruction going around us in the world, uh, one possible way that Christians, Christians can respond is in fear. One way we can respond to all the horrific stuff going on is kind of fear. And this idea, well, you know what? The world's getting worse and worse and worse. So we, the church, we just need to bunker down. We just need to, like, gather ourselves, get into, like, a bunker somewhere and just hide, like, put bars on the windows, just protect ourselves from the world. Because, man, the world's going to hell. Let's just hold on till I fly away or whatever song you people sing, right? Till one day I get home. Let's just protect ourselves and our way of life. And I think it's that kind of fear often, uh, especially among the church, that it leads sometimes prominent leaders to make statements, like, about closing borders, So when you have like horrific stuff happening to say, you know what the answer is? We just need to shut these borders down so no other people can come in. Because we need to protect ourselves. And without going into like deep politics or anything like that, I just want to say this. I believe that for the Christian, this kind of fear is unjustifiable for those who understand mission. 
for those who understand the calling that God has given his people, that being led by this kind of fear in response to what's going on is unjustifiable. Because the gospel is never about self-preservation. That's why the beginning of this starts, therefore. Why is it saying therefore? Because it's coming off this whole section about dying to yourself. About following the model of Jesus where he was considering others better than his own to the point of his death. So therefore now, now you shine. And it's not about preserving yourself. It's not about preserving your own benefits, your own safety. It's saying in a dark world, rather than hiding in fear, we're called to shine. And guys, I think we can just do better as a church. I think about, um, I mean, there's a lot of fear tied around, like, you know, let's, let's bar the borders from, you know, those foreigners of coming in, especially those of different religions, you know, the murderous types. Let's prevent them from coming in. But if you really understand mission, and I, I hope our church does, our goal is to say, where can we go in our city but beyond? What country can you send us to so more and more people can hear about Jesus? Think about the ramifications of what we're saying. No, we're going to close our borders so no one else can come in. Imagine what it would look like to say, no, what? You know, put them wide open. As many people come as possible so that more people can hear about Jesus. Especially if in their maybe native land, they would not have the most natural way to hear about it. And again, I'm not making this a political thing. I'm just saying making a gospel thing. How can we have more and more people have the opportunity to know about the saving, loving grace of Jesus? And that needs to drive us. Faith in God and his mission and not fear. And even in our church last year, I don't know if some of you were here, we baptized one gentleman who, he was only in Baltimore for a few months. We baptized a gentleman from a Middle Eastern country who came here. And he said, I want to know about Jesus. And he's from, a, I don't want to name his name or anything because, you know, this is sensitive stuff. He came, can you tell me about Jesus? Because I wasn't raised in a country where no one would tell me about him. And we met with him. He received Christ. And he got baptized here. And then he left a little while later because he had to move on for other job opportunities. But think about it. What we're saying is with certain things, yeah, you know, prevent folks like that from coming in because of their background. They're going to blow something up. Rather, you know what? He was able to come in here hear about Jesus, have his life transformed, and move on so that he can impact other people for Jesus. Guys, that's mission. That's being led by mission. Church, we were never meant to hide in fear because the world is dark and twisted. Rather, because the world is dark and twisted, how much more has God placed us exactly where we are that we might shine that much more brightly in darkness? Amen? That's why when we talk about summer Bible camp, vacation Bible school, here's my perspective. VBS, it's really easy for it to become just kind of like a cool hangout for like all Christians. Where if your church is big enough, heck, you don't need anyone else to come in. You got plenty of kids in your own church. And this is for them. And I'm not saying anything wrong with that. We want to minister to kids who are Christians in the churches. But at our church, the reason we do things like summer Bible camp is so that we can reach more people in our neighborhood. So we can love those who don't know Jesus. 
And I'll be brutally honest. If it's just about our kids at the church, parents, hear me well. I love you and your kids. But if it's just about you and your kids, I am not going to ask 50 people from Florida to come here. I'm, I'm not. But it's for the sake of even one more person hearing about Jesus who never might have. One more family who might experience kindness and they've given up all hope. One more family that was on the brink of disaster, but God is showing mercy into their life and using his church. Man, guys, that's worth it. That's mission. Church, we're created for so much more than the Christian ghetto. Because the reality, there are pl- we live in a weird world in America where if you want and you want to just spend all your time with just Christians, you can find your own bookstores, you can watch your own movies, you can listen to your own music, you can probably find your own food. That's all Christians, like little Jesus fish everywhere. You can find it. And you can just hang out with all Christians and just be, again, fellowship. I'm not denying fellowship. But guys, we are not meant to stay in that Christian ghetto. God has called us to be to the nations. And that's what we celebrate through baptisms today. That's what we celebrate through baptisms, that we're looking at these transformed lives that shine for Jesus in the dark world. Because what we're acknowledging through baptism is that for us to shine as light, first, light had to enter each of our darkness. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Guys, you know this if this is your story. Christ did not enter your life if you're a Christian when you got your stuff together. Christ did not enter your life when you suddenly put the light on and you got a little smarter, you got a little prettier, you got off of what you were on. You started. Christ did not enter your life when you signed an agreement and said, okay, God, now I'll do it right. And said, okay, finally, here's your salvation. He entered your life when you were in darkness. When you were in darkness, that's when you needed light and that's when he entered your life. And that's what baptism is, because we're celebrating life that, light that it comes from life, and now that light shines forth from here. So I'm going to ask all those guys who are getting baptized, if you could just join, join me up in the front pew here. And let's encourage them as they come up. This is scary to be in front of anyone. You guys can have a seat, actually. And and part of this, I want to give them a a brief moment to be able to share a little bit uh, from their life as they stand before their church. Uh, So I'm going to start with Paul. Paul, why don't you come up? And maybe you can just share briefly, you know, how has Jesus made a difference in your life? Um, Just how is your life different? What is it now that Jesus has entered your life? Oh, okay. Um, I'm nervous. But uh, one of the biggest things uh, that, you know, that I've experienced really accepting Christ was that, like Pastor Dan was saying, was like not having to earn anything. Uh, I think uh, I grew up always trying to feel like I need to like meet a certain standard or, or like earn my way to people's respects or to get people to like me. And um, it, it burned me out like crazy. And I, I just didn't like how I was living. And when, when I really accepted Christ, I realized that, you know, like I don't have to really earn anything. And no matter how hard I try to earn salvation or try to, like, get in the good graces of God, like, this way? Oh, okay, yeah. You know, like, like he was saying, I'm never going to do it. And, you know, but like you were saying, 
thank God that I don't have to save myself because I can really trust in Christ and trust in God that he's going to carry me through. And, yeah, like, I'm going to still work it. I still have those tendencies to really try to earn things. But, you know, it's just a process, and I have my ups and downs, a lot of downs. But, uh, yeah, like, it's really transformed the way I see people, the way I try to love people, and the way I try to bridge normal cultural gaps or differences that I normally wouldn't go past because, you know, even being here, I'm not, you know, I'm used to like a big Korean church, just hanging out with just Korean people in the Christian ghetto, whatever you're saying, but, you know, being here is like all these faces that I would never get to meet, and, and I love it, and I love that, you know, God is working through all of us to really, you know, make this multicultural or whatever it is, so, yeah. Thanks, Paul. This is Josh. Um, yeah, it's uh, exciting to see what God has done. I don't know about y'all, but when you get up in front of people, it's really um, a nerve-wracking thing to do to say anything. So he's showing incredible amount of courage. So I'm just going to ask him a really, really, really simple question. Josh, why do you want to get baptized? This is um, Josh wanted uh, to say this. He said, and he wrote this out. I want to be baptized because I know that I am a sinner, and I know that nothing I can do can get me into heaven, but I know now Jesus is the way. Praise God. That's... <laughs> now, praise God. That nails it, right? <laughs> that nails it right there. Uh, Jason Minji, come on. And these guys just got married like a few weeks ago, so this... Uh, be special for them to get baptized. Girl, yeah, maybe you guys can share a little bit. Same, same questions. How, how has Jesus made a difference in your life? Josh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't really want to be up here, but I didn't really get an option, so I'm up here. Um, yeah, I think I'm just a normal guy. Come from a good family, good background. Um, but I didn't know Christ. I thought I did. I thought I did for the longest time, and um, growing up, I always had that comfort. I always had that uh, just sense of being protected, false sense of being protected when I really wasn't. Um, I, was, I was living a life I thought was good, glorifying to God, you know, but really I was just trying to be a good person. But being a good person does not, does not give you a place in heaven, you know. And, you know, it took a while to, for me to get to that point where um, – I knew I wasn't following God. And once I got there, it was the scariest thing. Scariest thing to know that I've been living a lie and that I'm not a Christian. As soon as I got to that place, I felt God's hands all over me, through my friends, uh, through my family. And he he just transformed my life. On the outside, it might not look that different, (laughs) but I know it's different. Um, and I, I always wanted this miraculous change in my life. This one, I was heard this 180 transformation that you used to be this guy, now you're this guy. I think the miraculous thing in my life is that that God saved someone that's not that special, that's not someone so extraordinary, but someone that's ordinary, and that's the miracle in my life. And I'm sure a lot of you, a lot of you guys, are in the same place that I am. That you're just a normal person, ordinary person, but uh, God has a place for you, and 
He's going to do extraordinary things in your ordinary life. And that's what God has done in my life. Hi, um, I'm crying, and I, if you get to know me, I cry all the time, so don't worry if I just act like I'm not. Um, what hasn't God changed in my He's changed everything in my life. Um, I think ever since I was born, I've been going through phases. So, like, in high school, I was an emo, so I'm, like, wearing, like, goth clothes. And then next, like, I wanted to be um, in with the hip-hop crowd, so I'm, like, trying to look for the realest hip-hop music. Um, and then I did, like, this hippie phase. I didn't have a cell phone for, like, three years. Like, I just went through phases. So if you look at, you know, pictures of me, it's, like, all these different things. And I was just trying to find myself and find my identity. And, um... That really burns you out because, like, literally you have to get a new wardrobe every time you change. You have to listen to new music. You have to get new friends. Um, and it was just really unstable and inconsistent. And um, the search was over, I guess, uh, when, when I found Christ. And I'm like, I don't have to do all these things. Uh, my identity is firmly based on him. And um, all those, I guess, um, phases led me into um, a really deep depression. And um, I thought that when I became a Christian, it was going to be like a miracle cure. Um, and then the first year, um, so I get uh, depressed in the wintertime, and I lose like 10 pounds every winter, and I'm already really thin. But, um, and I thought it was going to go away like a miracle, and it didn't. And I'm like, you know, the first year, I'm like, what the heck is going on? I've only been a Christian for like two or three years. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I thought you are supposed to heal me of all my ailments, and I'm going to be happy and all this stuff. Um, but after I went through that, I realized that, even in my deepest depressions, I'm never that hopeless. I'm not, I'm still waiting. And um, I've learned that maybe my depression points me to uh, that final day. And it reminds me, like, uh, you know, Pastor Dan was talking about today, that not everything is right in this world. And it never will be. And um, being a Christian isn't going to be like heaven on earth. We'll never have that. And um, and just how thankful I should be that I'm part of this mission, that God's, God gives us the grace um, and the mercy to be part of that beautiful plan that he has um, because we're so undeserving and we're so broken and um, I really have nothing uh, to, 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 I don't have a long resume of all these good things. I used to be a club rat. I used to like, get into fights. Um, it was just bad stuff all the, all the way down um, and, and to receive that grace and that mercy and um, to see the bigness and the holiness of God. Um, like he was saying, um, God has literally taken me from the pits of Sheol and, and, and taken me up on eagle's wings, and he's done things with my life that I've never, ever imagined for myself. Um, and, yeah, I just, I really pray that you guys will, if you don't know him already, um, take a chance, um, step out into the waters and see what, what God will do with your life. Praise God. Why don't you guys come on up? Come on up. Um, I'm also going to invite up... Um, Matt, one of our elders, as well as um, Tiffany. Where, where are you, Tiffany? Tiffany is Josh's mom. She's gonna what? She's gonna come up and ask uh, Byung if you can come up as well. What we like to do at the church is when folks get baptized, we we um, invite them to have folks who've been instrumental from the church who've helped to walk them in their journey, whether maybe led them into their through their salvation or helped to disciple them or invited them to the church. Uh, and with these guys here, all. Uh, Byung down there at the end was the guy who brought them to this church, but he was instrumental in their life for a long time. So he's going to be in the waters together helping to baptize them. Uh, And actually, right after Jason gets baptized, he's going to help baptize his wife. So that's going to be a really uh, fun thing as well. I'm going to get all teary-eyed here. This is um, is good. And then um, Josh, um, obviously. And Maggie, where are you? Come on up, Maggie. Um, Obviously... Josh and his family, they've been coming here since right around, I think right around Easter. 
and they came to um, the, the outreach we did the week, I think that same East weekend before Easter, and they've been here every, every week since. Um, Growing Christ Tiffany, if you remember, he, she, she got saved and baptized a few months ago, and she's been discipling her son here. So obviously, uh, she's in the waters to baptize. And it's an emotional moment, right? Because she's, she's seeing her son receive salvation. Uh, Maggie, I mean, it seems kind of random, right? What's what Maggie doing up here? Um, I asked Tiffany, so what was, what was like, was there anyone significant? She said a whole bunch of people. I mean, so many of you. But Maggie and Stephanie, who couldn't be here because she's on missions right now in Philly with uh, SMI, um, Tiffany was saying her family came in the first Sunday after the outreach. And think about it. It's a scary place to come in. I mean, y'all faces are friendly, but it's still scary. Coming here, not feeling like this is a place to be. And, and Steph and Maggie came right up to them, recognized them from the outreach, and reached out to them. And just, and just told them how important it is for them to be here, how, how glad they are they're here. And that's made a difference to them. That's made an impact in their life. And again, God's the one doing it all. It's all God, but we're part of that. Part of working at our salvation is walking together with others. So she said, could, could Maggie and Steph be in here as well? Because they were instrumental in this. So that's why she's up here as well. So we're going to pray right now for these guys, and then we're going to go into the back, into the tub, and do the actual baptism. So um, can I ask you, we're going to be up here laying hands. And if you can just stretch out your hand from where you are as a sign that we're praying together for these guys here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways you're working amongst these lives here as they declare uh, through baptism the new life they have in Jesus. And all of us, we fully know it's not because we got our act together or we suddenly smartened up. It's your mercy and grace alone. And thank you for that mercy and grace that allows us now to walk in step with you. And as I think about these men and women here as they stand before their church to say, I follow Jesus Lord, we pray for your continued Holy Spirit to move through their lives. And Lord, I pray for our church that these waters may never be empty. They're always going to be stirred because new lives are being found in you. And Lord, you remind us as a church that this is a visible ex- ex- um, just picture for us that we are never meant to hunker down for ourselves and create some nice club that where only Christians are invited. But Lord, that you want to shine bright in a dark world. You want to transform lives and bring hope, Lord, in a hopeless world. And we testify to that. And we cry out to you, Lord, more, more for your own glory. So, Lord, right now, encourage these guys here as they go into the waters. And and they're able to testify to your great faithfulness. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.